Hello, everyone. I'm Mike Levy, and welcome to the Pink Bike Podcast. This is number 52. So if you missed last week's episode, we spent about an hour talking about spy shots, embargoes, mountain bike media, and how we handle all that stuff. And I don't know about you guys, but being serious is boring. And I can only do that about once every four or five episodes. That's all I have in me, which is why we're going to talk about something completely different this time around our most embarrassing moments on a mountain bike. So as you can imagine, I have countless examples to share with everyone, but it's not just me in today's episode. I've got Mike Casimer, my favorite intern. Kaz, you've been mountain biking for just as long as I have. I bet you have a whole ton of embarrassing stories. Oh yeah, definitely. I've got a good a good few to, to share. Do you, do you have a bike shop one? You were used to be a mechanic. I know that. You worked in a bike shop. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's things I've messed up. I'll have to think about that a little bit more, but I'm sure I forgot to do something that would be embarrassing if I got called out for that. I'm I'm positive. I'll think of something though. Yeah. yeah I've seen embarrassing things happen. You know, somebody like goes to take a fork apart without letting the air out and then the top cap blowing up and hitting the ceiling and things like that. Kaz, oh. so. <laughs> how did you know that I was going to bring up my shiver story? Oh, nice. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> Nothing really to get excited about, just a whole bunch of 10-weight fork oil that was maybe seven years old being blasted into my eyes at a 1,000 miles an hour. I can still see everybody. So we've also got Alicia Leggett with us today. So Alicia is a relatively new addition to the PB crew, but that doesn't mean we're not going to make her confess a few of her more embarrassing moments. Alicia, can you introduce yourself? Where, where are you right now? How long have you been riding mountain bikes and what are you doing for PB? Hey, so I'm riding for PB. For pink bike, I uh, I'm based in Missoula, Montana, right now. But I moved here six or so days ago from Flagstaff, Arizona. So a little bit in flux. Yeah. Um, been riding mountain bikes for I don't know seven, eight years, somewhere in there. I have more embarrassing moments than not embarrassing moments. Nice. So all have things to talk about. Excellent. And it's not the PB podcast without the Bobby to my RCMP, James Smithway, James. I know we're talking about mountain bikes, but I've got you. I bet you have a whole bunch of embarrassing moments on the old mountain board. Is that true? Oh, yeah, of course. Like my, mountain boarding as a thing is is pretty inherently embarrassing. So uh, that's a pretty strong starting point. I think I I said previously on the podcast like my mum took us to the skate park once, and we um we sort of rolled around the bottom of the skate park a bit and left after about twenty minutes. So. Yeah, that that's a pretty embarrassing uh, mountain board moment, I think. We're gonna we're gonna get into the embarrassing mountain bike moments, but first we got to talk about news, and it's gonna start with Santa Cruz's new bullet e-bike. James, take it away. Yeah, that's right. Last year, Santa Cruz jumped into the e-bike world with both feet. It announced electrified versions of both the Heckler and the Bullet. The Heckler that was 150 millimeters of travel, bit more of an all-rounder, whereas the Bullet that was 170 millimeters of travel definitely had sort of bruisier free-ride intentions, I guess. Other than the name, it doesn't share too much with its predecessor. It's not aluminium, it's not a single pivot, and instead of 26-inch wheels, it has a mixed-wheel mullet setup. It also uses Shimano's EP8 motor and a 630-watt-hour battery. Kaz, you put it through some winter testing. Is this just kind of like a self-shuttle freeride bike, or is there a bit more to it than that? You know, normally if you had a big kind of heavy 170 mil bike, that would be your sort of freeride thing. But with a motor, it changes it. You can go a little mellower terrain where it doesn't matter as much that you have all that weight. Um, so really the rides I ended up going on this, we just kind of we're going on weird rides, like go explore trails we would never take on a regular on a regular bike, go up trails that are just awkward and more 
just strange thing. So yeah, a little more versatile than you might expect, but overall it is, it is geared towards the descent still. And how did you get on with that new EP8 motor? Mm, I liked it until it stopped working one ride. That made me sad. A little error message comes out. (laughs) There's nothing more embarrassing than being on like a $10,000 bike, trying to get your phone out and figure out what the error code means. Like halfway up a climb, I was like, I was really bummed. But then I just pedaled it for the rest of the ride because I was not going to go home yet. Kaz, isn't this the second motor you've had clunk out on you or electrical problems or yeah. how you put it it's still learn like there's still a lot of things going on with e-bikes that need refinement no the last one was a speed sensor issue i had a speed sensor issue on the was that on a the canyon i think the the spectral the electric spectral um yeah. so yeah the this motor just full-on died but they sent me a new one i replaced it i got to figure out how to replace the motor which is pretty easy uh, but not something you want to happen but then the next one worked totally fine so Still waiting to hear back on what caused that motor issue, but so it is something that can happen with e-bikes. So I think that's a point in favor of analog bikes. Is that are these things the kind of things you can fix yourself, or are you kind of waiting around for a shop or something to do that for you? This was yeah, this was a wait around one. The other one, the speed sensor, that was something you could fix as long as you could find the part. Like they're they just once you get to the motor, you can't really pull it apart uh, very easily. Like to go deep inside. Do you just plug in your diagnostic tool and it tells you if it's like the catalytic converter or the oxygen sensor, what, what exactly is going on there, Kaz? I mean, pretty much, yeah. You, you use the app. They have like the E-Tube app and it tells you the error code and what it means. And this time it was like just a system error. So there wasn't really anything deeper, but there are different, more specific codes that tell you what's happening. So yeah, it's kind of yeah. weird that we're still talking about bikes, but yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, really the reason I got the bullet in was because I... I had a buddy that I still ride with this day, but we've been riding together for like 20 years. And I remember he used to have the bullet. So I was like, I need to get this electric one and let him ride it. And he was so blown away by it. He was just like, whoa, that's, I think I need one. It's like, well, it's $10,000, but yeah. So I don't know. That's kind of why I got it. And it's just fun to see what's going on with, with bikes. So To be fair, Kaz, I used to actually own a bullet. And I want to say that back in the day, that thing was close to 10 grand too. It had a Dorado on the front and all the most ridiculous things. This is back when I was a shop rat kid. The bullet will always be a single pivot aluminum bike with a fifth element shock in my mind, everybody. Oh, yeah. It, I mean, that's what it's supposed to be. Yeah. Right. But <laughs> yeah. So, anyways, it was fun to mess around with. Is um, e bike testing something you think you'll be um, dedicating more time to? Or is it just when you're dipping it out of, do you think? I'll just kind of dip in it out. I'd say, like, I still, the analog bikes are what I like the most. And the e bikes, they're, they're fun, but they're almost a little more boring because you can make you can make that motor work around issues that would become more noticeable on a regular bike like pedaling performance doesn't really matter that much on an e-bike and handling they all kind of start to feel pretty similar when they're in that 50 pound range so um yeah i mean i'll be i'll be doing some more e-bike reviews but the regular bikes are still my favorite do you have a favorite e-bike cas you've ridden so far i know you've ridden specialized the canyon the santa cruz one is there one that stands out to you we should do an e-bike podcast yeah we'll do that eventually um I, I do like specialized motor more because of how quiet it is. Uh, yeah. I just kind of like the bike to feel or to be quiet in the way it delivers the power, but they are getting pretty good. I'd say in the last year or two, they have reached a level where they're all, they're, they're getting pretty good now. So next up is the new Rocky mountain instinct. I say it's new, but to be honest, we've seen most of this bike before the frame is almost identical to the altitude that was released last year, except with a new shock mount and it runs at 140 millimeters of travel instead of 160 that means it keeps the Ride 9 adjustments on the rocker, the adjustable chain stays, and the smooth link suspension. 
The only other thing to note really is that sizes small to XL are full two niners uh, with a 27.5 option on the small and extra small. Um, and that means it replaces the Thunderbolt in Rocky Mountains uh, lineup. Kaz, the altitude, that was your pick of the bunch from the field test last year. Um, how did this stack up in comparison? Yeah, this one, it didn't really wow me as much as the altitude, which in the review, I think the analogy I used was it was as if, as if I had eaten dessert first, where like the altitude was really good and it impressed me in all kinds of situations. And then hopping on the instinct was kind of like, ah, oh, this isn't quite the same. Um, and that's not just because of the 20 mil suspension travel difference. I think some of that's the suspension package on this. at had a Fox uh, 36 with a Fit4 damper and a DPX2 shock. So both of those kind of give this bike like a little more of an edge. So it doesn't feel as plush or as I guess planted. I hate using that word, but it doesn't feel as composed in the really rough stuff. So it's a trail bike through and through. Um, I'm sure plenty of people will like it, but it just didn't blow me away. Um, if I had to pick, I would go with altitude over this if I was purchasing one. Kaz, what ride nine position did you like the most out of the nine positions? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I extensively tried every single of the nine positions. And <laughs> yeah. No, Rocky needs to get rid of ride nine. Just make it like ride two if you want to still have something. There's no point. Like, obviously, I just put it in the slackest one because it's not the slackest bike in general. So I'm sure some people will make it steeper, but I bet not that many because in the slackest position, it's 65 degrees, which that's the same as that new stump jumper that has less travel. And that bike, you know how that bike handles. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I got, I have one more question about this bike. So when you rode the altitude, I think that was your favorite field test bike of the of the enduro bikes so. yeah I bet I and that. yeah and i think one of the reasons for that or the main reason for that is that it what from what i gathered is that you found that it was able to do a lot of things good instead of being like a big bruiser or something that was just more light and playful you didn't get that same impression from this bike it sounds like yeah you know like the the geometry and everything is so similar it's you know, the same changes that would happen it has like it's a little bit longer this one actually and the c2 angle is a little steeper but the overall feels the same but i think because you don't because there's more of an edge when you start uh pushing it into the rowdier terrain it just didn't feel like i could do everything on it you know it's more for i'd say it's more pedaling oriented just kind of a little bit mellower trails um yeah but again you could i think you could put a float x2 on it and it would start feeling more like that altitude but eventually you'll just be turning it into an altitude. And it's like, why not just get the actual altitude? Yeah. So wh- where does this, where does this new one sit? Where would you think that it would best suit? Um, I mean, it's kind of for like, it's like your Chilcotin's kind of bike. If you wanted something a little bit beefier, but not go full XC bike, um, it'd still be a bit much for like the BC bike race. I'd say it is sort of in that, not a no man's land, but it's kind of that rowdier trail bike zone. Like SB 130 kind of zone. Yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah, okay. Cool. Well, after talking about them for 40 minutes last week, um, because I love having op-eds written about um, what I write, uh, we could post another spy shot this week. And it was the um, <laughs> Trek Session. Um, we speculated about this bike uh, on the podcast before. And actually, I didn't think we were too far off what, what um, we saw either. And the headline here is that um, Trek is going high pivot, following in the footsteps of Commensal, Norco, Da Vinci. We've seen loads of these high pivot downhill bikes in recent years. Um, it's still using the ABP system, um, but the engineers have clearly taken some notes from other designs, and it looks to be a much higher pivot bike now. Um, other details, kind of a bit hard um, from the photos we got to work out. Um, we think it could be a full 2.9er, and the guy who took the photo said he thought the front triangle was carbon. Um, is this pretty much what you're expecting from a new session, guys? 
Yes. To answer your question, this is pretty much what we thought. ACAS, high pivot, ABP still, same basic silhouette, but high pivot with an idler. Yeah. I mean, I think for, for all downhill bikes, you know, everyone's trying to find more speed, things that will stay composed in that, and those are super rough World Cup tracks. So um, it's a good way to go about it. I, I, I kind of wish they went a little crazier with the look of it because it still looks a lot like a session, but that's just me. Um, and in the future, we do have Dan Roberts. He's working on a new episode of his engineering series where we're going to dig into the high pivot pros and cons a little bit just to shed some more light on why so many companies are hopping on this design that you know, it's obviously not a new design but in the last few years we've seen everybody kind of embrace it once again so look into that yeah it's also um very likely to be at the windrock tennessee national this weekend um so i think we might get some race shots of it as well um for a better look at it which would be cool um, last up in the news, um, it's Adidas, who are back in the cycling footwear game with a clipless version of the Samba sneaker. So the Samba is like a football uh, soccer shoe, um, apparently one of the best selling of all time, 35 million pairs sold, um, and now you can buy a clipless version of it for cycling. Um, I'm sure I'm not alone here, I learned to, to ride in, in just any old pair of trainers, um, but would any of you guys wear these now to ride in? I I don't think I'd wear them now, but I definitely I spent my entire indoor soccer career wearing something that looked a lot that looked a lot like them. I'd wear them. I always wanted those Hambas, but I could never afford them when I was a kid. I had to rock like LA Gear shoes. Remember LA Gear? They're like the super cheap shoes that like they're not even close to Reebok or Nike. So yeah, I think I would buy these because I wasn't cool enough back in the day to have Sambas. So. You're these. cool enough now, Kaz. In I know. I'm, I'm an adult now. It turns out I could just buy these. But, well, you can't quite buy them, right, James? You yeah, tried to get I tried some? To, I mean, to be fair, I left it a few days, but they were sold out pretty quickly. Um, yeah, all the hype beasts got there. Um, yeah, I don't know if I would pay money for them, but if they were in my possession, I would wear them. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's, that's fair. a pretty that's damning review them. right there. <laughs> yeah, no, I wouldn't pay a dollar for those shoes. I'm sorry. <laughs> I think that reflects more on me than on the shoes. Yes. But, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they look great. I think for like around town gravel rides, I kind of like those rides that a little bit blur the lines between like, I'm going for a bike ride and I'm just going to, you know, ride my bike around, if that makes sense. Those are the shoes like, for that. Like, like you might not want people staring at your bright white carbon soled yeah. BOA equipped cross country race shoes. You'd wear these instead. Yeah, I'm gonna like go bike along the river or I'm gonna like take my cross bike on a dirt road or something or you know, a casual yeah. bike ride. And stop a for a park. game of indoor soccer. Sure, why not? All right, everybody, that is it for the news. We're gonna move on to our question for the day. And this one is from Chris Neeland, and he wants to know, Kaz. Should bike companies invest more in building trail networks and public affordable bike parks? Would it get more people on bikes and would it result in more bike sales? Uh, I think you'd be surprised at how much companies do invest in in local local trail networks. Um, I know Santa Cruz is pretty prolific with how much they give. uh, That's that pay dirt fund, I think, isn't it? They Mm -hmm. they do a huge amount. Yeah, I think, yeah, from from my knowledge, I don't, I can't really think of anyone that's like conspicuously not donating, but... I think that I think it's a good thing. Like if you're making bikes, then you should help ensure at least in your local scene has good trails and good yeah. trail network. Yeah. Hey James, in the UK, you guys have a whole bunch of trail centers. You guys like to call them that here in here in North America, we just call them trailheads. But trail centers are any of those sponsored by bike brands? How does that work um, over there? 
Yes, they are. I think uh, the funding mainly comes from Forestry Commission, which is like a government-run entity. Um, but a lot of the trails will like be sponsored by brands. So there's like the MBR Trail, which was used to be sponsored by MBR Magazine. There's the Altura Trail. Altura is a British clothing company. Um, so yeah, this plenty happens uh, about that over here as well. Um, DMR have recently opened a new free ride trail and things like that. Um, so yeah, I think it's it's good when brands do that. It's, they definitely obviously want to support the scene, um, give riders places to ride their bikes. Um, yeah, I think this is something that already happens and I think it's a really good thing. I mean, I think you see that a lot with brands supporting things like NICA here in the US and they are recognizing that they're up and coming communities of riders and like investing in high school mountain biking programs and like, you know, youth summer camps. We have like shops here in town that'll offer bikes for, there's a parks and rec program that can get more kids on bikes. And you see that with like companies sponsoring women's clinics and that sort of thing. So I think they do recognize that there is a market they can grow just by giving people opportunities to ride bikes. Yeah. It's definitely a lot more noticeable now that, when 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 I was young, I remember like there was nothing when I was young, and nowadays there's all these high school programs, and some of them are supported by local companies and and bigger brands and stuff like that. But it's neat to see, that's for sure. High school programs, how I started biking, probably the best really? thing. Really? Yeah, best decision I ever made. Uh, Northern California, outside San Francisco. Yeah. The NorCal League, the first Nike League ever. Oh, oh nice. yeah, that was pretty huge, right? Like, it's huge in California, isn't it? Like, California and Utah. Oh, it was awesome. Yeah. Um, it grew so much, they had to split the NorCal League into North NorCal and South NorCal. And the SoCal League was also... <laughs> it was North SoCal and South SoCal. Can you imagine that, Kaz? Growing up, high school league cycling? That'd be amazing. I think it was only like two of us that rode mountain bikes at our high school, and we were definitely huge dorks because of it. Like, it was just something you did that nobody understood which brings us to our discussion i have done countless embarrassing things over the years as casimir knows but thankfully we're just gonna stick to bikes otherwise we'd be here for a whole week Kaz, i want to tell that story about the shiver that we started the podcast with yeah i want to hear it i think yeah yeah, i don't remember it so you should tell it i wasn't even riding my bike and it's still terrible so i used to be well i was a mechanic for a long time at a shop and A buddy of mine had a set of shivers and it was time for a rebuild. You know, you rebuild shivers once every five years, right? Keep them working really good. (laughs) And uh, so if you don't know, if you're, if you don't rebuild your fork that often, a lot of times, or if you don't drop your lowers, they could suck in air as they work. Um, So they could, the air pressure can build up inside of the fork and the shiver the damper rod goes all the way up through the top cap, and then it's held on with a little C-clip. Do you, do you remember that, Kaz? That mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That was like the Marzocchi signature, like the top of both of them. I can just picture it right in my head. Like, yeah. exactly, I can feel <laughs> it in my fingers, how that C-clip, yeah, how satisfying exactly. it is to pry it off with the screwdriver. Well, that's exactly what happened. So I'm standing over this thing. I'm holding one leg of a shiver fork between my knees, Alicia, and I'm standing over this thing looking right down, straight down at the rebound adjuster that you turn with a flat blade screwdriver. I pry the C-clip off. Everything's good. Next, I go to tap to push the rebound knob down into the fork to release the pressure. Well, whoever's fork this was, they I mean, it probably had never been rebuilt, like five, six years. I don't know. So there must have been, it felt like a few hundred PSI inside this fork. And the oil shot out into my face at a thousand miles an hour. I didn't get a chance to close my eyes or anything. And I remember the ceiling in the bike shop. It was a, 
a really high ceiling. Like it must've been like 15 feet or something like that in this bike shop. And there was oil all over the ceiling as well too. And there was customers in the store that saw me do it. We didn't have an eyewash station, but I, I did spend the solid 20 or 30 minutes in the bathroom, just splashing oil on my face and my eyes were red for weeks. Uh, and the smell of that old Marzocchi oil is something special too. Like, like gray sludge. Uh-huh. It, like, I think it even had like thick pieces of like old something in it. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows what? <laughs> Kaz, do you have a shop story like that? Like something where you're not riding a bike? I can't think of any of myself, but I wasn't a shop. My buddy was working there. And this was kind of like the early days of tubeless. And this this woman had brought in her bike to get set up tubeless. You know, everyone's all excited about it. So, yeah. So he <laughs> he's getting it set up. It's all dialed. And like, you hear the compressor going for a while and it pops into place. And he's like, yeah, I got it. And she comes in, she's wearing her nice work clothes. And she, she takes the tire from him. And she's like, is that the right pressure? He's like, oh yeah, it's all set. And he's like, okay. She puts it down so she can pay. And the thing just explodes and it just blows sealant all over her like obviously that's the biggest noise ever and she's just fully covered with sealant and just the look on her face was just sheer like as mad as you could get at somebody ever because she's wearing like i said like nice work clothes and like all of us wrenches in the back like look up like oh no like because this guy had been like so cocky and so sure that he had like set it up perfectly it was the right pressure but he obviously aired it up to like 60 psi and just blew stands everywhere like he was very embarrassed and i feel like yeah how did she react she was just furious, like, and then you know, I think obviously everything was free, and give her a big credit yeah. at the store and the dry cleaning bill and all that stuff. But it was, it was a good fiasco. That one sticks to my oh, mind. It's an embarrassing man. shop story. Yeah, no doubt. What about what about you, Alicia? I've never worked at a bike shop, so I don't have that type of bike shop story. Story, um, but I think I am notoriously bad at maintaining my bike. So Ooh. I'm on the other side of that, where sometimes I will bring into my bike all like you know, bring my bike to the shop for something. And the guys will be like, really? Like, what, what did you do here? I'll like, just do shit, like break a chain guide and like tape it together with Gorilla Tape and then forget about it all season. And then someone who actually like, cause it works. Like I'll fix something with an incredibly janky fix and then it works. So I never bother to make it better. Yeah. Just things like that. Where then like, when finally, someone who actually like you know is has higher standards than i do will see my bike and it's just moments like that when i'm like i mean okay yeah like i guess the gorilla tape chain guide is not how it's supposed to be but i'm sort of jealous actually alicia that you are i feel like my rides might be easier or go smoother if i was okay with things being more like that you know, like, oh, yeah, it's good enough. Let's just go. Uh-huh. I really, really dislike noises on my bike. So that is an area where I'm pretty picky. Yeah. But yeah, when it comes to like aesthetics or like there was a I lost one of the bolts for. I guess I was just holding my saddle on like I don't know where the bolt went and I came up with this ridiculous fix. Like turns out that bolt was almost impossible to find. So I had like one nut and like some other thing to keep that from rotating and like a bolt that just really didn't fit there and it ended just up just make it do yeah just things like that <laughs> did the seat stay on or did it fall off oh yeah it was great i think i sold my bike like that 
<laughs> we have to do a bike check. Like, yeah, we'll do a bike check of your bike later in the year, Alicia. So, but you can't change okay. anything. You have to show us all the stuff, and we can really like see all your fixes because I want to see what you got going on there after like okay. half a season of riding. I don't think there's anything weird on my bike right now. Yeah. But I mean, once you get riding more, I'm sure by like mm-hmm. July or something, it'll be, it'll be good. We'll see. Yeah. James, I know that you've got a great story that involves a press camp, a crank arm, a pedal, and you being mortified. Yeah, I'm, uh, I also never worked in a shop, uh, but I, this is a mechanical related story because I am pretty useless at that stuff. Um, so I've only ever been on three press camps. I'm not a tech editor. I wouldn't be very good at it, as I think this story will demonstrate. Um, but it was for the latest generation Scott Genius. So I think maybe 2017, roughly. Um, it was in Aosta Valley in Italy, and um, Scott went really big on it. Um, probably 50 journalists out there. They put us up in really nice chalets. Nino was there, Levy, uh, Brendan was there. <laughs> um, they also had their factory mechanics out there, um, like setting up your suspension. They put my brakes the right way around, um, taught me through the twin lock uh, and everything like that. Uh, but one thing they didn't do is um, put the pedals on for us. Um, so you can probably see where this is going. Um, we set off for the trail ride. Um, Nino was leading it and there was kind of quite a competitive spirit going on. Um, so everyone shot off. No, no. At a press yeah. camp? No. Yeah, a lot of egos. And, uh, <laughs> Who would have thought? <laughs> um, so they were setting a good pace. I got dropped kind of fairly early, but I kind of wasn't too first. I wasn't the only one. We all just rode up the climb at our own pace. And I started to feel like my pedal sort of wobbling a little bit. I carried on. I was like, oh, don't worry about it. Um, and then at one point I looked down, the, the pedal's at an angle. Um, so basically, I, I've not tightened my pedals properly um, and about 20 minutes into this ride, I've ended up stripping the thread of a brand new 400 quid XX1 carbon crank. Um, and yeah, um, I was left walking up the climb, pedaling in one hand, like broken brand new bike in the other. And at the top of the climb, there's about 49 <laughs> of my peers, journalists I've looked up to all my life. Judging. judging. Um, who's this idiot? <laughs> What's happened to Dirt Mag? They used to be so cool and now they're sending clowns like this. Um <laughs> Thankfully, Daniel Milner from NBR and Al Rafferty from SRAM, they came to the rescue. They showed me that like reverse threading trick where you put the pedal in the wrong end of the mm-hmm. crank arm and you kind of re-thread it. Um, and that kind of got me home. But I think that crank still had to be um, binned. So sorry, SRAM. Um, but the next day, I rode Peeler in Brennan Fairclough and um, that was pretty amazing. I forgot all about it. So, yeah. Those those press camps, they could be nerve-wracking, you know? Like, it's supposed to be all fun and games. Everybody, I mean, we're working, but it's, it's you get a bunch of dudes together like that, and everybody's pedaling hard, and everybody's, like, not waiting, and yeah. I feel that, James. I could feel that. I would be, I would be mortified. Yeah, I think, like, I don't know, like, the impression I get is that the Spanish and Italian journalists are, like, really into the XC more than anything else, and I feel like they were really trying to give Nino a run for his money. Um, I'm sure they didn't, but... <laughs> In their heads, yeah, Good luck, in their boys. heads, they were, really, they were really going for it. Since we're talking about mechanical no-nos, I have probably my most embarrassing story ever. Um, so I used to race downhill all the time as a junior, and I had a beautiful Norco VPS1 with a Marzocchi Z1 on the front, the orange one, Casimir. Orange lowers, silver bolt-on arch. Mm. So... There was a big race on the weekend on the island. So, of course, what should I do hours before I leave for this race? Well, of course, I should rebuild my fork. 
So those forks, they had their upper tubes. They were remember how they were clamped in the fork crown calves with two bolts on each side. So to rebuild the thing, obviously I slid those legs out. I did whatever I did as a kid, which probably wasn't right. And then uh, put everything back together. I slide the legs up and I thought I did those bolts up, Kaz. <laughs> There's two on each side. Maybe you only need to do one up. I don't know. <laughs> well, did you know that there's also these little C-clips that go under the fork top cap and those hold the fork legs on in case those bolts aren't done up tight? Did you know that? Yeah. I, you keep going with the story because I have a really similar one. This is great though. Yeah. <laughs> those C-clips are important. Yeah. So I'm at a downhill race and I'm practicing too much and making myself too tired like I did every single downhill race. And there was this one tricky section where a whole bunch of people were watching. There was like some, the pros that win these things and a bunch of people my own age and my own class. It might've been like, I don't know, 20 or 30 people or something watching. And I come through this tight little section and in one spot, you kind of, you just leave the ground for a few feet. No big deal. Right? Well, my fork fell off, Kaz. Mm-hmm. <laughs> both, did both legs come out? Yeah. <laughs> both, both, both <laughs> upper tubes slid out of the freaking fork crown. Uh-huh. So the only thing holding the front wheel, well, I mean, was the brake line. The fork was off the bike. So obviously I didn't even get my hands out. I just did the drill bit right face first, right into the ground. I probably kicked the back of my head. I had a bright yellow crank full face helmet. You remember those? Mm -hmm. I saw Nathan Rennie wearing one, so I had to get it. Oh no, it was Chris Kovac. Um, So anyways, I was mortified. Yeah. And it turns out that those little C-clips, they're a nice safety feature. Yeah. Yeah. important. So I... I didn't do any damage though, besides to my ego. I just, yeah, didn't even pull the brake line off. I just slid the fork legs back up. I tightened those bolts back and raced. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> huh. Yeah, mine happened. I had a similar thing. I was, I was like 13 on my first mountain bike, like a Diamondback Topanga. And I'd read somewhere in like mountain bike, yeah, probably mountain bike magazine. I think that's what I read back then. Yeah. And I had read that if your RST fork wasn't compressed enough, you could just take the elastomer and spring out of one side and like, didn't even need it. So at home, I took the top cap off. And hey, like I'm just going to cut my spring rate in half, everybody. I mean, I weighed like 90 pounds. So it probably was the right move. So yeah, fair like, enough. I pulled everything out of the left side of the fork and then rode it like that. But then I was riding one day and finishing a ride, bombing down a gravel road, and then just a left stanchion fell out of the fork because oh. it, it also was bolted on with two bolts. So the left stanchion dropped. So the right was still on there. So it just immediately twisted my bars yeah. and I aged it so hard on the gravel road. Like, head to toe road rash and I'm riding by myself. There's no cell phone. So I have to like pedal and limp into the, like the closest gas station and call my dad from the payphone. I was like, dad, I can't ride anymore. Come pick me up. <laughs> I was just destroyed. And like, I don't think it was the RST forks fault. Like I might've touched those bolts, but I like to think I didn't, but there's definitely a gray area and I can't remember cause it was a long time ago, but yeah, that's a fork stanchion falling off. And I was pretty beat oh, up and sad. I'm glad I'm not the only one. It's crazy how fast that happens. So fast. Way. But see, like, I, from my thing, I'd ridden a bit before. So I think maybe it just loosened up. Maybe. I don't know. But it was so scary and painful. I don't like crashing yeah. on gravel. I mean, I'm, I'm going to call mine user error, 100% user error, Kaz. I feel like yours would be too. I think so. I'm going to take like, I'll say it's like 90% user error and 10% chance that it wasn't me. But as 13 yeah. year old me, I probably fucked that up. See, I, I was 17 at least. I have way less of an excuse. Maybe I was, yeah, I was probably like 16 or 17. I should have known better. I have one more mechanical horror story before we get on to the, the on the bike embarrassing stories. So I was working on somebody's, somebody's mountain bike, had a chain guide. 
And Kaz, have you ever had your finger sucked through like a chain guide and had to pedal it all the way around to get it out? <laughs> I haven't. No, <laughs> definitely chopped off like thumb tips with a disc brake rotor, but yeah. the chain guide, that sounds like a new one to go all the way around. <laughs> I, I guess I think I drank too much monster. I don't know. I don't know what was going on. I wasn't paying attention and I had my thumb was upside down so that the chain ring tooth, the top of the chain ring, the tooth went through my thumbnail and I kept pedaling and I had to pedal it all the way around to get it out. <laughs> I would have liked to watch that, like just come in the shop and see you just like <laughs> cracking it around. Like, I'm almost there, guys. <laughs> the sounds, the sounds that I made. <laughs> Anyways, I I was very 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 sore from that, Kaz. You chopped your you chopped the tip of your thumb off. Yeah, I've caught, like it's been a while, but I I've definitely had a few times where you're just like adjusting the brake and you're kind of holding on the caliper with two hands, and then your thumb goes a little too close to the rotor, especially <laughs> like just like slices the tip of it. Yeah, yeah. Or you forget that your hand is there and you go to spin the wheel to like, yeah, it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Kaz, what about some on the bikes, on the bike embarrassing stories? Yeah, I think I've got one. I think I've maybe told this before on the podcast, but I can revisit again because I think it's my top most embarrassing mistake story thing. So I was, when I was 16, I decided to do a 24-hour race solo because that was what I thought you should do. I've been reading about John Stamstead, and it was like just when 24-hour races were starting. Where, where did this Casimir go? I he's like still there. I like the sixteen year old Casimir. <laughs> he was good. He's still there. We can. You just never ride with me, but we yeah, can still go suffer true. whenever you want. Yeah. Okay. But anyway, so I was sixteen, so I signed up for this twenty four hour race. There's like four of us in the solo category because it wasn't that big yet. But anyway, Everybody so else was smarter. Yeah, exactly. So I'm riding around, riding laps and laps and laps, and just started getting the worst saddle sores ever. Like insane level of saddle sore, and like I kind of thought that might happen, but I didn't expect it at this level. I think I had to send my, like, I think my dad was there, my mom, somebody, one of my parents had to get him to get me like diaper rash ointment. Like I'm getting just destroyed. I just keep riding and riding, but it turns out after all this is said and done, like, yeah, my, like it's, I'm destroyed. It's the worst. But the reason this happened was because I was wearing my underwear under my chamois. <laughs> Nobody ever told me race? for 24 hour race. I was wearing tidy whities under my chamois. Like I was like <laughs> 15 or 16. Like nobody ever told me that you're not supposed to wear underwear under your chamois. And I didn't know. And I think I was like, I know I was awkward, kind of like embarrassed kid. So I just thought something was weird. If you just wore, just wore a chamois, I was like, you need underwear under it. Right. And you definitely don't. Uh, And if you do a 24 hour race, it'll destroy you. Cause that cotton chafing was like, yeah, I could still remember it. It was the worst. So, yeah. So I learned from then on that don't do that. For, for people out there who haven't had a saddle sore, it is debilitating. (laughs) Yeah, and this is just next level. Like this is just like sitting on sandpaper. It's more than like your normal saddle store because you just got like the like uh, so bad. Like the seam of your cheap uh, cotton underwear is no good. So yeah, so don't do that. That was that was embarrassing. No one really knew, I guess, except like my parents. But I'm embarrassed did you that walk I walked funny for a few weeks. I'm sure I did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. I don't remember how long it took me to recover, but <laughs> it sucked a lot. I had a terrible saddle sore from a stage race that I did, and. It, I mean, that was like four or five years ago, Kaz, and it's it can still bother me sometimes if there's like a seam on it. <laughs> Not good. <laughs> Not good yeah, at all. I learned from that one, but I'm still embarrassed by it. Yeah. Hey, Alicia, let's hear some on the bikes 
on the bike embarrassing stories from you? Yeah, I think my favorite one is the time I got internet famous for a crash. Um, The year was 2016. I was just starting to get more deeply into mountain biking and got a job at Mammoth Mountain Bike Park. And I was kind of at that point where I was trying like drops and stuff, but wasn't competent at drops. That's a dangerous time. It is, yes. Um, (laughs) There's just this trail called Flow Trail. It's great. There's a drop that in hindsight now is really not a big deal. But back then it was like something I really worked myself up to. I was thinking about it all week. I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. I got the afternoon off. I was riding with some friends and did it and just wrecked like brutally. Um, At Mammoth, there's so much erosion because it's all just like volcanic, sandy, rocky shit. And so Mm -hmm. they make the trails with these cinder block style pavers. And it's cool. There's like a whole jump trail made out of them. But in this case, the whole run out of the jump is those. So I landed and just bounced and like my bike and body slid just down the pavers and my handlebars got graded down. So like both brake levers were shaved off. My shifter was shaved off. My like reverb dropper plus lever was shaved off. Um, and my body was absolutely destroyed. Um, so naturally I posted the video on Instagram and this is at the time when vital had their like fails and bails thing going on. So like hashtag fails and bails didn't think about it anymore. Woke up the next day. And it has, like, blown up. I thought it would just be, like, three of my friends being like, ha-ha, wow, feel better. And I'd be like, ha-ha, yeah, cool. Um, but it was, like, on Vital. I also put it on Pink Bike, so it got on, like, the Pink Bike, whatever it was, like, fails of the month. I don't know about you guys, but any time that there isn't dirt, I'm nervous. Like, we were up in the forest last week filming, and there was this huge wood to wood thing and like alicia i know what you're saying that cinder block stuff the paver block stuff you're talking about i get it like it's there for a reason but anytime there's not dirt i'm just like oh god i don't want to crash on that i'll just walk Mm -hmm. (laughs) so alicia i have one question for you yes have you hit that drop since yes i went back the next week before i got the stitches out yes excellent yeah but it was wild so like the town of mammoth is not that big in the summer and People, apparently everyone had seen it. Like, I went to this little, like, cafe and got lunch one day, and the waitress was like, are you that girl who crashed? <laughs> Man, I remember years ago, Paris Gore, the photographer, he made Jerry of the Day because he, he went to go bunny hop over a, um, like, a swing, like a kind of a park bench swing, and he went to bunny hop, and he just catches his rear wheel, and Oof. he flips so hard. And it's just like a classic, like, fail. But it, it blew up, too. Yeah, once people latch on and they want to... Relive the horribleness. Kaz, what's your, now that Alicia took a turn, what's your most embarrassing crash story? I mean, the one that like broke my back was kind of embarrassing because I don't know what happened. I just like hit a jump. It's the jump after the container drop on um, on a freight train. Like you come off the container, yeah. you go left and there's like a rock you can like double over and you land, you kind of clear the rock and land on the yep. dirt. Yep. I've done it dozens and dozens of times, but this was like, for some reason I hit it and I just went to the right, like. There's no landing over on the right. There's just a big flat nothing. You should never go to the right. I don't even know what I was doing. And then my back broke. So that's embarrassing. I don't, I don't yeah, I, I, I'm going to give you a free pass on that one though, Kaz. Yeah. You're such a solid rider. Like whenever I do ride with you, you're very like, you do all the things correctly. 
Yeah, you know? I don't like messing up and I don't like crashing. So that was a weird one. I don't know. I think my brain just thought like it was just like a short circuit. My brain is like, you should go right. I'm like, wait, there's no landing over here. There's nothing. You're just going to land like 10 feet to flat. You wanted I to did. take a new line. Yeah, it was a fresh one. If I'd gone like right. further, it could have been like a huge double maybe. But <clears throat> I looked at it, I think, or a year before last, I went and like walked around because I hadn't really checked it out in a while. I was like, oh, that's weird. I don't know what I did. Yeah. But yeah. Anyway, so that's embarrassing, but I don't know. Otherwise, I haven't had too many like. I've forgotten things on rides, though. Like, I've showed up at a ride, and I forgot my riding shoes. Like, luckily, I was wearing flats, but I didn't bring my 510s or whatever. And I only had, yeah. I think I had Tiva sandals on. So I borrowed some, I borrowed my buddy's running shoes that he happened to have. And I had to take the insoles out so that they would work. And then we just did the, I did the ride with, like, Nike running shoes without insoles. So it worked, but it was kind of embarrassing. I've I've got one for you. I was at a trailhead. There was, I don't know, 15, 20 people there. I knew some of them. I didn't know some of them. I'm waiting for my friends to get ready. I'm riding my bike around in circles. And of course, I mean, what do you do when you're waiting for people? You do stupid bike tricks, right? Balance, you hop on one of your wheels, whatever. So I'm hopping on my back tire like a like I know what I'm doing, like a trials rider. And I had, Kaz, do you know that huge blue park multi-tool that I've had for 20 years? Yeah, I need a new one. It's so <laughs> gross. <laughs> no, I don't it's need like a It's like the size of a car battery. Yeah, it's perfect. It has it's everything so rusty. I need. You're going to get fitness. <laughs> I'm attached to it. I know. <laughs> so I had it in my in my little bib storage pocket in the back. I'm hopping on my back tire in one place. Well, you know what happens. Sometimes sometimes you go over backwards and I couldn't unclip. So the very first thing that hit the ground was that multi-tool in my bib pocket right on my tailbone. And yeah, I thought I broke my tailbone, but I, I ended up being quite injured. But besides that... To be hurt like that at the start of a ride in front of a whole bunch of strangers. And then I, I tried to be cool about it, everybody. I was like, oh, I'm okay. I'm okay. Like in excruciating pain though. But I thought that if I just started pedaling, everything would be fine. So I got on my bike and we started pedaling up the hill and I got maybe a kilometer up the road. And I said, guys, I got to go home. Well, I got to go to the hospital actually. But <laughs> I had to turn around because I looped out in the parking lot while pretending to be a trials rider. That's embarrassing. James, do you have any on-the-bike embarrassing stories? Um, nothing super high stakes, I don't think. Um, one of the worst crashes I ever had, there's this uh, road where I used to live, and it's like a like a snaking hairpin road, um, goes up the side of a mountain. And coming down, you can basically overtake cars by riding trails between the hairpins. Um, and it would always be a thing me and my brother would do, we kind of race cars down. Um, and inevitably, that led to a load of crashes, Um right in front of the the families of of worried looking drivers um quite funny um and then i guess another embarrassing sort of on the bike time was just a case of me being woefully underprepared um uh it was the first time i'd ever done a heli drop um and in my head it would kind of be like like for example like riding down from the top of whistler right it takes i don't know like i don't know max 15 to 20 minutes something like that um, so I just took a little plastic water bottle and like stuck it in the back of my shorts. I was like, that'll be it. That'll be fine. Um, and then three hours later in the baking heat, we're still on this, the side of this mountain, like picking our way down these really technical trails. And I'm just like, so dehydrated, like dizzy and everything. And I was like, oh, I'm that guy on this ride. Like the guy who's just come like woefully <laughs> unprepared, like embarrassingly naive and useless. Um, and I just found... <laughs> That was, Where um, was that, James? Whistler, Where was that? Pemberton. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, it yeah. was the ride Brian yeah. did um, his humorous as well. So that kind of added to the, the time I you mean, were out there. To be fair, you were out there for three <laughs> yeah. hours longer than you should have been. But there were people out there with like <laughs> bear spray. Like, yeah, it's grizzly bears up here. I was like, what? <laughs> My plastic bottle is not going to get against a grizzly bear, is it? James <laughs> comes from the UK for a casual mountain bike ride. He's like, oh, I got to... I got to outrun grizzlies. Um, so yeah, I just vowed to never be that that underprepared um, liability ever again, and um, I take much more kit and, and provisions with me now. It sounds like you guys need to go on one of those rides where you have, like, where you you don't have what you need, and it ends up being real bad, or you like. Like, you go on some big adventure. Have you guys ever been on some massive adventure and it's, like, way hotter than you think it is and you end up, like, dumping Gatorade or Coke on your head and all that kind of stuff? No? Just me? I've never dumped Coke on my head. You've never no. dumped Coke on your head? It's so sticky. <laughs> it doesn't matter in the moment. I think I just have, like, the wrong kind of reinforcement. I do those rides and it turns out okay for me. Oh. So I just get away with things I shouldn't. I keep doing it. Oh, it sounds like you're doing something right, though. It sounds like you're being prepared. Yeah. You know, you know, all that gorilla tape's on your bike if you ever need it anyways. It'd be <laughs> fine. <laughs> she could just hogtie the grizzly bear. Yeah. <laughs> there was a time I crashed my pants off, like, quite oh. literally. I was in a race. This was probably around, like, 2017, like, uh, a few years ago. I It was one of my first pro category races ever. I was really amped up, really nervous. It's an enduro, um, and the stage stage one was the most technical one, and I just, I really wanted to do well. So I came into this rock garden, like, so fast, and just launched and exploded and, like, catapulted through the gnarliest section is, of the entire race. Is there race. a video, like, like, the other crash? There, There is not, no. no. <laughs> but it was, like, the one spot on the course where it probably would have served me to, like, go in with some steadiness and, like awareness of my surroundings and I didn't but I was so amped and I was like oh I gotta like make up time and like pedal for the rest of the stage and it was steep and then it kind of leveled out and the last like four or five minutes of the stage were just straight pedaling so I'm like pedaling so hard and the zipper or buttons or whatever closure was on my pants had come unfastened in the crash so the more I'm pedaling the lower my pants are getting and like I see the finish line I'm like pedaling, dying, and just like aware of my pants, just going lower and lower till they're resting on my top tube. <laughs> and I finally crossed the finish line. And it was just this weird like convergence of events. Like I, I don't know, I kind of kept my shit together, but then my pants were no longer did, on. Did you win with your pants off? I act- I won the race. Yes. Not that yeah. stage. I think <laughs> I was no. last in that stage, but... <laughs> Some sort of like embarrassment and self hatred fueled me to maybe ride better. I like it. <laughs> that's good. I like it. That's the best kind of fuel. Yeah. It worked out for me that self-hatred. time. <laughs> yeah, that's what we all run on here. I have a lot yeah. of that. <laughs> yeah. All right, everybody. That's it for our embarrassing stories today. But we're going to end it with Comet Gold as per usual. This one is on the prototype. Trek session article. Make sure to click on it if you want to get some TMZ spy shots. Big Tim says, looks like a succession. Oh, <laughs> I mean, that's pretty well, good, isn't yeah, it? <laughs> yeah, we'll give it to him. <laughs> he gets 10 pick bike points. All right, everybody. That is it for episode 52, our embarrassing stories on the mountain bike. 
Stay tuned, and we'll see you next week.